Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. Last week, we had Daniel Negreanu on our podcast, and the next day after talking to us, he went out and played in his first WSOP event of the year and reached the final table. So clearly, John... You and I are the exact opposite of Drake. Uh, we are good luck charms. And if any other poker players want to appear on our podcast during the WSOP, we will welcome them for a fee. Uh, John, what do you think is a fair price? Uh, yeah, Eric, I'm no dummy in some ways, but uh, I have no shot at landing any kind of fair price against a professional poker player. <laughs> uh, I remember when Daniel told us uh, that he still thinks he has a potential winning strategy on Survivor. Uh, if he ever got on that uh, show, right. I said, if he was one of my rivals, I'd try and take him out as soon as possible. He's too good. Then he told me he talked me into keeping him around. And just like that, I agreed. He convinced <laughs> me just like that. So, you know, one of the keys to life is to know what you know and what you don't know. And uh, so you're the poker guy. What do you think? Um, you know, I, I guess I guess it would depend on on the person and uh, and how desperate they are to uh, to win a bracelet or, or make a final table. But you know, I, I, I'm no master negotiator. I would just say I'll, always start high. Come in, come in high and uh, and and see where it settles. And uh, you know, we we live in uh, an age of uh, very welcomed extortion. So I'm I'm cool with uh, extorting away. All right, go for it. <laughs> um, and by the way, uh, you've carved out your niche as the storyteller of this duo. Uh, but this is as good a time as any for me to tell my best story from my years covering the World Series of Poker in person. Uh, so uh, se- settle in a bit for this one. Uh, the year yeah. is 2006. I'm playing in the media slash celebrity charity tournament at the WSOP. Uh, in case there's any confusion, I was on the media side of that line. <laughs> yeah. e- even even if now I'm a very famous podcaster, but uh, um, but there were two celebrities at my starting table. One was Todd Newton, a host on the E Network. Uh, not exactly an A-lister, but I recognized him anyway. Uh, the other one was a little better, Anthony Michael Hall, star of many of my favorite movies growing up. Um, so Hall shows up uh, just as we're about to start playing. And he announces to the table, kind of sheepishly, guys, I don't know what I'm doing here. I have no idea how to play poker. My manager told me to show up and play in this thing, so take it easy on me. Um, Now, is he hustling us or is he being honest? First hand is dealt. The blinds are huge right off the bat in this thing. It's it's 2550 blinds and we only have a starting stack of a thousand chips. So not a lot of play. I have pocket threes in middle position. Uh, with a small pair, you usually want to see a flop cheap. Uh, you're happy to have several opponents. You're just hoping to flop a set. So Todd Newton limps in. Another guy limps in. I limp in. The guy to my left limps in. Anthony Michael Hall completes from the small blind and the big blind checks. So six players. Flop is queen, four, three. Two hearts. <laughs> I hit my set uh, with a flush draw and a possible straight draw out there, though. So when it comes around to me, I decide to bet. 350. In retrospect, a, a bit of an overbet, but uh, this was 2006. People bet a little bigger back then. The guy to my left raises to 700, which is a weird raise because he only has 250 left behind now. He might as well go all in. But anyway, Anthony Michael Hall calls the 700. Big blind folds. Todd Newton calls the 700. Next guy folds. I go all in for 250 more, and all the other three players still in the hand call. So I'm a tiny bit worried that maybe someone has a set of fours or a set of queens, uh, and I don't really want to see a flush draw. So the guy to my left turns over his hand, queen-jack. So top pair, decent kicker. That's it. That's what he went all in with. Todd Newton has ace-four for middle pair. 
And Anthony Michael Hall, well, he was not hustling anybody. He was being honest. <laughs> he does not know how to play poker because he had 10 deuce, no pair, no draw. Um, I win the hand. I quadruple up. I eliminate both celebrities at our, at our table on the first hand. And the guy to my right is pissed at me because he tells me Weird Science is his all-time favorite movie. And he wanted to spend some time talking to Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> oh, well, not, not my fault. Uh, I, I just hope uh, Anthony Michael Hall has gotten better at saying no to his manager since then. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. So uh, enough story time. Let's uh, let's get down to business. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 43 of Gamble On, especially you, Anthony Michael Hall, if you're listening. Uh, if you missed any of our previous 42 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Just click subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And uh, we're coming up a little later on the show. We'll be joined by Jay Cornegay, the vice president of race and sportsbook operations at the Westgate in Las Vegas. So he's going to talk about the state of sports betting in Nevada, how things have changed over the years, and uh, how we're are going to be seeing uh, the Superbook brand in other states. Uh, but first, it's been another busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. It's not the most serious and important of our news stories this week, but it's the one that got the most mainstream attention, and it's one we can have some fun talking about. So let's start with the dethroning of Jeopardy! James. On the episode of Jeopardy! that aired Monday night, professional sports better James Holsauer, attempting his 33rd consecutive win, saw his streak ended by librarian Emma Betcher. James was just $58,000, a one-below-average game for him, away from breaking Ken Jennings' regular season money record. Uh, but he got a little unlucky with the daily doubles. His opponent played just as well as he did. And James needed her to get Final Jeopardy wrong, and she didn't. So the historic run is over. He ends up number two in regular season wins and number two in regular season money won. Although until 2004, you could only win a maximum of five games in a row. So keep that in mind. He also ends up with the top 16 spots on the single day money rankings. Um, I wrote this week about Holzhauer's legacy on the show and his status as the current public face of sports betting. John, what will you remember about this run and how would you describe James's impact on the sports betting industry? Uh, well, Eric, my oldest brother has worked at the Columbia Library in Manhattan, uh, which is kind of the Wrigley Field of U.S. libraries, I'd say. Um, <laughs> for almost 50 years, he has a master's in library science, so uh, he's kind of smart. And I say, go team library. That's my first thought. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, James is great. He's a likable guy. He's a wife and family. Uh, yeah, definitely a good face for the industry. Great sense of humor. Um, I've mentioned before, I really enjoyed seeing him enjoy this experience. You know, money aside, the fame is, has to be somewhat overwhelming, but he's managed it just fine. I mean, even the idiots he wrote about it thought he lost on purpose or something. Uh, <laughs> someone else might be unnerved by that. You know, what, why do they think of negatively of me or whatever? But he seems grounded enough to understand they're just trolls. So uh, James is great on Twitter, by the way, uh, at James underscore Holzhauer, H-O-L-Z-H-A-U-E-R. Uh, just signed up last month. Uh, by the way, at Jeopardy James is not him, alas. It's that James, all, all, all thing, Holzhauer. Yeah, uh, he's... Uh, <laughs> He's at 138,000 uh, Twitter followers already and counting. Yeah, which I suppose indicates he didn't need uh, us to plug his Twitter and spell it out. But yeah, just in case anyone uh, isn't already following him, that was that was one of the things I was going to add, is that he has proven every bit as good on Twitter as his predecessor, Jennings. The, the other thing that I would add, uh, even though... I wrote a piece a few weeks ago backlashing against the backlash. Um, I have to admit, 
I was getting a little bored with his dominance. So, so purely from my personal entertainment value perspective, I thought his run ended at about the right time. Um, but I stand by what I wrote in the piece that that he was very good for Jeopardy. Everyone who tried to label him bad for Jeopardy uh, is an idiot, frankly. Um, but uh, th- there's an important subplot to discuss here. Uh, James's loss aired on Monday night. It was taped back on March 12th. And on Sunday, footage of the end of the episode leaked, which meant on Monday morning, I woke up to spoilers in our office Slack feed, which were necessary because we're covering Holes Hour and we need to stay ahead of the news. But for most people on the internet, the result was not yet spoiled. And then a couple of hours later, Darren Ravel spoiled it on Twitter and took a beating from his followers who apparently wanted to be able to watch that night's show as if it was live. John, what's your stance on Rovell and others, such as uh, Deadspin uh, did this as well, just coming right out and giving away the result? Uh, yeah, that, that's a tough one. Uh, I'll mention it again. I've known Darren for at least 15 years, and we're both Jersey guys now. So, um, uh, you know, personally, I lean toward not getting it out there on my social media because uh, it's a game show. Uh, then again, I'm old enough to remember 40 years ago when Magic Johnson's rookie year NBA Finals Game 6 was shown on tape at 11.30 p.m. <laughs> East Coast time. Uh, if there had been an internet, would I have not wanted people to know that result? Is it, is it really more of a real game because it's basketball and not Jeopardy? Uh, interesting. Um, I think one overlooked aspect of this is I think many of those who were outraged, and I think Darren only lost about 5,000 out of more than a million Twitter followers, not a huge number, right. uh, maybe casual fans who don't watch every night and don't DVR the show. Uh, they may not want to admit it, but they'd feel like they missed out if they didn't see the episode they, where he lost. So um, if they think about it, maybe it's not so bad that they knew to tune in. Um, also, this reminds me of a longtime uh, ex-colleague of mine, Adrian Wojnarowski, who uh, bestrides coverage of the NBA like a colossus these days <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> from Yahoo to ESPN. Um, you know, a few years back, he started tweeting at the NBA draft picks minutes before the official announcement, while those also watching ESPN were watching some of my other contemporaries speculating on the pick at the same time. So um, I think that worked out better because it eventually got to where if you'd rather just watch the speculation, just put your smartphone down for an hour. Uh, I know, I know it's not possible, but um, <laughs> but any spoiler there really was self-inflicted. Uh, I wish there was a similar opportunity here where you you could decide if you wanted to know what happened or not, which is kind of what we did on uh, usbets.com. Uh, but um, I, like I said, I, I think people have to realize that they most people don't watch every episode, I think. And so they would want to see the one where he lost. So even though it ruins the, the intensity a little bit, uh, the drama, but I think at least they got to watch the, the big episode. Right. Yeah. I'm sure Jeopardy, the, and the, the networks that televise it were happy to have the result leaked because apparently the ratings for Monday mm-hmm. night were enormous. Um, it's a, it's a tricky subject. Uh, you, the result was already out there before Ravel shared it, uh, although I'm sure he knew that most of the people who follow him on Twitter hadn't seen the result yet. I mean, news is news. It's his job to report it, and someone else is going to put it out there soon if you don't. I wouldn't be want to be the, the jerk who spoils it. You know, if it was me, I'd sooner tweet a link to a story and the tweet just says, you know, spoilers for an upcoming mm-hmm. episode of Jeopardy in this link. Mm-hmm. And then people will know something is up, but they won't know it's tonight's episode that he loses. They might think it's about him breaking Ken Jennings record. Mm-hmm. There's a way to do it that doesn't piss off so many people. But <laughs> still, I can't get mad at Ravel. He, he's a reporter. It's a completed event. He was just doing his job. And, uh, and I'm sure the article got clicks. Uh, so I'm sure his <laughs> bosses are, are happy he did it. 
I think so, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. We had a major development this week in the ongoing tug-of-war over the Wire Act of 1961, and this one was a win for the good guys, uh, he says, with complete journalistic integrity and impartiality. Uh, as you may recall, the Department of Justice released a new opinion on the Wire Act in January that seemed to threaten various forms of online gambling, and the New Hampshire Lottery then sued the DOJ. On Monday, Judge Paul Barbadoro ruled that the Wire Act applies only to transmissions related to bets or wagers on a sporting event or contest, and declared the 2018 OLC opinion is set aside. So basically, sorry, Sheldon Adelson, the new opinion is bogus. It doesn't affect online poker across state lines. It All it applies to is sports betting, uh, which is still fine intrastate. It just can't be done interstate. Uh, now, this isn't necessarily the final word. The DOJ might appeal. And the ruling in New, in New Hampshire doesn't apply to all states, though it does set an enormously important precedent. John, what do you think? Is, is this the beginning of the end of this issue, or will the war go on with the bad guys potentially winning some more battles along the way? Uh, well, yeah, Eric, I'm not quite into the good guys and bad guys, but <laughs> that's fine. Will... I'll, I'll, I'll own the, all that labeling. That's not on Eric, you. That's on me. I, I will say the DOJ opinion that was released in January was. Um, curious. So I'm not too surprised by this ruling. Uh, and talking to some insiders, the sentiment is that Adelson's campaign contribution to one of the major parties that rhymes with Republicans um, <laughs> entitled him to this one Hail Mary. Uh, the feeling is that new Attorney General William Barr not only doesn't have an appetite for an arguably unconservative meddling into state decision making, but he doesn't also seem like someone who would be cowed by Adelson or arguably anybody. Um, so the real parlor game on, going on the inside right now is whether DOJ even appeals his decision. Uh, at the risk of getting into legalese, Adelson's coalition was unsuccessful in being granted formal intervener status in the case. So if a First Circuit panel of three judges does get the case on appeal, they might only be examining the core DOJ claim that the New Hampshire lottery had no standing to file this suit. Um, that's a weak argument that was vivisected by this judge. So whether DOJ appeals or not, I think this argument is DO. A. <laughs> well done. Um, I'm not so sure about the the point about Barr not being cowed by anybody, uh, but that's a, <laughs> a whole different subject, I suppose. Uh, not not a path worth going down. Um, yeah, I, I look at the question of of where we go from here this way. Is Sheldon Adelson out of money? No. Then this isn't over. Uh, but um, you know, you, you make a good case for for why maybe this was uh, you know his, his one best shot for now. Um, I, I it, it seems like maybe this particular effort uh, is is over or close to it. Um, but you know, will uh, Adelson pursue some other avenue eventually? You know, I, I guess I would say I don't think the online gambling world can can just relax. Um, this this was certainly a very good ruling especially for online poker's hopes of growing. But um, I suspect we haven't heard the last of the coalition to stop internet gambling. Eh, I'm sticking with DOA on this. I think, I think it's over. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll place a side bet, uh, as, as, we, <laughs> as we usually do, for some price like a dollar or something like that. Um, all right. Uh, final story this week. Last week on this podcast, we declared Illinois' hopes for sports betting dead for 2019, our reports of its demise were apparently greatly exaggerated because over the weekend, the Illinois House approved a capital bill that included the sports betting legislation, and then the Senate voted in favor also, and with the governor fully expected to sign, just like that, Illinois is getting in on the fun. However, as we discussed last week, this is a highly problematic piece of legislation. We talked about the contentious penalty box debate 
it appears FanDuel and DraftKings will indeed be squeezed out for the first 18 months. There's also an official league data mandate, and the tax rate is 15%, which is down from the previously suggested 20%, but still on the high side. The licenses are also expensive, and there's no betting on Illinois college teams, which will encourage the people in Illinois to maintain their offshore sportsbook accounts. Hmm. I'll basically re-ask the question I asked last week. Is it better to pass a mediocre piece of legislation and get sports betting started or to punt it to next year and try to get the details right? Well, you know, I, I think back to Pennsylvania again, uh, casinos as well as sports betting. Uh, these are incredibly high tax rates there and, and both industries howled. But the casinos came in anyway. Uh, there are plenty of sports books going mobile this year, I expect, uh, as well as sports betting at those casinos. Um, so this, this bill in Illinois may be mediocre, but it's possible to fix any potential blunders down the road. And I think the industry uh, isn't willing to concede that they can afford more than uh, they suggest, <laughs> which is what happened in Pennsylvania. So, right. you know, I mean, I'm not convinced that uh, Illinois is going to fix this bill next year because politics, you know, but <laughs> right. I take it as a modest net gain for those who seek expansion of U.S. gambling across the board because it's another key state that that is in. And I think um, each one kind of adds momentum to the next uh, around the country. Yeah, um, there. I saw a good quote from uh, Brendan Bussman of uh, the consulting firm Global Market Advisors said, it should not be just about passing a bill to pass a bill. Let's craft the market with the best possible legislation the first time. Uh, so that's his take is to uh, is is that uh, it seems he was basically saying he would have rather not seen this bill pass. Um, but, you know, I, I can see both arguments on this one. I'm personally not going to lose sleep over FanDuel and DraftKings and points bet being temporarily frozen out. 18 months isn't that long in the grand scheme of things. Uh, the key for me is that the consumer in Illinois still have plenty of other options. You, you don't want a monopoly or close to it. You want at least three or four sites with different pricing and different bets available. That's vital in every state. But, uh, you know, to kind of come back to what you've said uh, many times, uh, the more differences there are between your laws and New Jersey's laws, the worse your laws are. <laughs> probably. That's probably so. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. We spend so much time on Gamble On examining all the new states legalizing and regulating sports betting that sometimes we forget about the one that's been there all along, Nevada. And when you're talking Nevada sports betting, one of the very first names that comes to mind is the Westgate Superbook. So joining us now to talk about the state of sports betting in Las Vegas and beyond is Westgate Las Vegas Vice President of Race and Sportsbook Operations, Jay Cornegay. Jay, welcome to Gamble On. Good morning, guys. So uh, sports betting is exploding. It's expanding beyond Nevada. And we'll ask you about Superbook's participation in that. But first, how have things changed in Las Vegas in the year or so since other states began to offer legal sports betting? Have you noticed a change uh, in either direction in your quantity of customers or in the types of customers coming to the Superbook? Well, when you when you ask that question, I, I think about some of the names that ha have moved on, you know, uh, Avello, uh, Johnny Avello from the win. Um, mm -hmm. you think of Ed Malinowski from, from the stratosphere. Uh, you look at, uh, Frank Kunovic from, from Harris Caesars moving on as well. Uh, 
you know, some some prominent names that have been in in this industry for many years, and in Johnny's case, decades. Uh, who was right. a, he's a good friend of mine, and mm-hmm. and and certainly highly respected, and and moving forward. So some of the, some of the the na- we have some new names out there as well that uh, have come on the scene. So you, my my one of my one of my first thoughts would be just looking at some of the the top names that have changed over, you know, the last year or so, um, you know, customer wise, uh, I, I haven't really noticed too much of a difference here. I, I have, you know, obviously talked to many of my colleagues that still remain in town about, uh, some of the different offerings that we see that are happening in New Jersey and, and, and other jurisdictions. Um, so we, we've talked about that, uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, one of the one of the main uh, topics that we seem to talk about is just how some of the new operators are conducting business that that uh, you know in ways that we haven't in the past. Whether it's you know uh, uh, very aggressive uh, promotions, um, you know, you, you got uh, you know the refunding that's going on, uh, which I, I hear is very prominent in, in Europe. Uh, right. which we haven't done here. I'm not going to say we've never done it, but uh, there have been some cases here and there that people have offered refunds, but not on a regular basis. And, and I certainly understand the strategy, you know, of, you know, customer acquisition and, and so forth. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of those uh, topics, along with some others, you know, have been discussed in some of the circles that we have here in Nevada. Right, but so we but we see in like the the revenue reports every month uh, that it, it seems like uh, betting handle ha- has been just fine. Uh, that that basically, uh, you know, if, if there was any worry about some of these other states uh, cutting into your customer base, w- would you would you say that 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 worry looks totally unfounded at, at this point? Yeah, it's still a little early for that. Mm-hmm. You know, my my. My concern as an operator in Nevada right now would be, you know, some of the bigger players not coming in for some of our bigger events. Okay. Um, you know, I think that there's a, there's a, and I think eventually that will happen. But as far as the traffic, as far as the number of tickets that we write, I mean, some of the marquee events, whether it's you know, just football season in itself, uh, you know, Super Bowl, March Madness, you know, those are events that, usually are are sold out and and we're we're at um you know we're at maximum levels um so uh we still expect to see that um i don't think that our handle is going to go down in any way i there's some people that believe that sports gaming is being introduced to new demographics and those new uh players will eventually want to come to vegas uh as we've seen in other uh, avenues of gaming, you know, whether it's table games or slots, eventually people want to come to Vegas just because they've never experienced it out here. Right. And uh, so we, we, we have, we, we have that segment that, you know, believe is going to be there. And we, we understand that some that have been coming out here for years, uh, you know, might stay home or, or, or visit other jurisdictions that, they might have family or, or friends and, and want to visit, you know, new venues. So I, I think it really levels out. I still think that, as you can see, that the numbers are going to continue to increase as sports gaming is more popular than ever. Right. 
Yeah, and uh, Jay, we understand that Superbook is going to be uh, operating beyond Nevada uh, pretty soon. Um, I don't know if, if you're able to talk at all about uh, how soon that might happen and uh, whether you're going to have many opportunities the next year on that. Or Well, guys, it couldn't happen soon enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, we've been working on it, and uh, we, we certainly uh, um, are uh, planning to operate in other jurisdictions. And, you know, we have a, a great team that uh, is – is uh you know been in the u.s market for um you know decades you know our our, our team itself of risk managers and 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 operators in the superbook i mean we i think we total more than 125 years of experience of of our 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 key members of our team you know the the it's it was a little tricky there for a while as the doj came out with their uh you know uh different you know, opinion of the Wire Act, and that slowed everything down. It really put a lot of cold water on uh, uh, the deals that we were uh, deep into. And and now that it's subsided a bit, um, you know, we're moving forward again. But as you can tell, that really put, uh, a, 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 you know, a downshift into the movement as, you know, there, there hasn't been as many uh, new deals over the last couple of months as you saw prior to that being released so uh, we're getting right back up to speed and you know we're hoping that uh, the superbook the superbook team um you know will be operating uh, i can't obviously make any announcements right now but uh, hopefully sooner than later you'll see the superbook in other jurisdictions okay uh, just to follow up jay then what are your thoughts on the on the pace of at which sports betting legalization is moving. Um, I don't know if you had a, a I guess I, I was going to say a feel, but I guess I'd say a line on uh, since last spring on how fast things might move. And has that reality, uh, has reality met the expectations you might've had? I think so. I mean, I thought, it, it, I think it was really anticipated to just shoot out of the gate like it did. And that's understandable. And, you know, there, there, that, there's some positives to that um, as people, welcomed it and you know uh, you know legislators you know were open to it um and obviously you know the the fans and the players out there certainly were excited about it and then you know it it after that first surge of new operators and and jurisdictions out there that legalized it you know it, it it's still at a pretty decent pace i mean we're only looking at one year into the making here and I would say it's about right where we expected it to be. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, there's certainly some hiccups and being an operator in Nevada for, you know, over three decades, a lot of us talk about how, um, how it's expanding, you know, how new regulations are set, what the legislators are looking at. And we certainly don't agree with a lot of them. I, you know, I mean, I know, uh, um, there's been a lot of discussed about the data, the official data from the leagues and, and, and our relationship with them. And that's certainly, you know, one of the, you know, uh, topics that's very hot right now. And, um, you know, we, we, as, as operators in Nevada that never had those type of, uh, demands or parameters to work within, uh, we certainly, you know, with, with the latest being Illinois, uh, along with Tennessee, you know, there's certain, there's certain progress out there that, you know, concerns us uh, because uh, the way we've operated and, and we've operated within um, our compliance issues, our, within our regs, 
and we've had haven't had any issues with it at all. Uh, and I know that we're probably going to go into this subject here uh, soon, but uh, it's it's a little concerning, you know, to, and disappointing at the same time to see, you know, states like how, how New Jersey's done it versus how Illinois is is uh, moving towards. Um, so you mentioned the the super contest earlier as uh, you know one of your big events. What does the future of the super contest look like? like? If and when Superbook is in more states, does every state have its own mini super contest? Um, and also, how close are we to entrants being able to make all their picks online? I know there's been some some recent talk about that. Yeah, it, um, the super contest is, is is you know a Superbook product. And wherever the Superbook operates, it's going to be uh, you know, part of, of their, uh, you know, offerings. And so if we were to go to New Jersey or wherever, of course, it's always going to be based off of regulation. And um, I don't see any sticking points at this time. But uh, if we were to go into other states, we do plan on offering the Super Contest um, via the interstate um, it would be an interstate offering, meaning just it would be within that state. Right. Obviously, uh, the regulations, you know, really mold the super contest of what we can do and what we can't do at this time. You know, our our attorneys believe that it wouldn't be offered, you know, across state lines. Not at this time. Now, if things change. You know, you could look at whether it's Powerball or Mega Millions and those type of offerings. You know that. Uh, that are out there right now, you know, you could make a case, you know, that the super contest would fall under those guidelines as well. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's uh, for another day in time. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, down the road that it, it would be offered, you know, um, you know, country, countrywide and, and, and be an interstate offering. Um, as far as in Nevada, uh, Nevada, we we're moving uh, forward, and we've been taking uh, super contest, uh, um, you know, um, entries since March 1st. Uh, we just have just a little bit over 400 as we speak. Hmm. Um, this is the first time that we've offered uh, this early entry period, and it's gone over very well as we were able to capture a lot of the uh, March Madness uh, visitors uh, that came in for the madness. Um, and, uh, you know, we just made an announcement uh, just the other day as for the first time ever in the Super Contest, uh, contestants will be able to submit their weekly selections via the Superbook app uh, while they're in the state of Nevada. You know, they, they won't be able to uh, sign up here, go back to Kansas and, and submit their weekly selections. They still will uh, have to use a, a proxy service to do to do just that. But um those that will be in Nevada and uh, the locals here in Nevada will be able to um, enter the Super Contest, um, make one trip down to the Superbook, enter, and then from that point be able to submit their weekly selections through the mobile app. Cool. All right. Uh, And, Jake, uh, you say you've been in the business a long time. Everybody knows that. Um, Can you compare the sports betting menu now to, say, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, um, you know, where, where's betting volume up? Where's it down? What's what's hot and what's not, I guess? Well, yeah, that's for sure. It, it certainly has changed uh, quite a bit, and I, I expect that to continue as we see more competition and, and, and more 
operators, you know, in the United States. And, and uh, you know, you, you look at some of the new uh, European operators and, and they have some some different uh, thoughts and, and offerings. You also, are, you know, we're looking at some new technology that has been um, offered here in the United States now uh, that we haven't seen before. So those type of offerings are going to continue to grow. And I don't think uh, we're going to see the uh, a slowdown in that area uh, for quite a long time. Um, but uh, it, it, it's really across the board. I mean, it, you, you look at all the major sports, all the major sports are up. And uh, you, know, you can attribute the you know, popularity of in-progress wagering uh, for, for some of that. And just the overall um, popularity of sports wagering. So you, you look at that and then obviously we've always that you know UFC is very strong. Uh, you look at the the soccer market that continues to grow. Um, you know you look at some of the more second tier, third tier sports, whether it's uh, you know NASCAR, golf. Now there's been more in progress offering in golf, and that's gone over very very well. Um, and, and it seems to I, I think there's going to be a, a big market for that moving forward. You know, NASCAR has come out and they, they're wanting to try different things to, uh, um, you know, work with the, the gaming industry and offer their fans uh, different types of bets on their sport. And I think you're going to see that uh, not with everybody because no one's not, not they're not all embracing, you know, this, this new era. But uh, NASCAR certainly is. Um, and they're trying their best to enhance you know, the betting on their sport and the popularity of the sports, which is understandable knowing what they've gone through over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, they, you, you look at, you know, the NFL draft, you look at um, some of the different college sports, some of the, the sports that we haven't, you know, offered before, whether it's, uh, geez, it could be, it could be anything. It could be uh, the NCAA lacrosse. Uh, you're starting to see more expanded, uh, offerings on NCAA college baseball, um, things like that. You'll, you'll, we expect that it's going to continue to grow as it gets more competitive in this space. People want to be known for uh, all the different offerings, and we've always been known for that, and we're going to continue to be very aggressive in that area and offer a lot of different things that you might not find anywhere else. All right, re- really interesting stuff. Um, we, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast, Jay, and uh, the listeners uh, wouldn't realize this, that uh, we're recording this uh, at uh, noon our time on the East Coast, but 9 a.m. in Las Vegas, which nobody does anything at 9 a.m. In, in Las Vegas. Uh, so we appreciate you uh, uh, <laughs> making time for us uh, so, so early in your day, relatively uh, speaking. Yeah, and and I encourage uh, you know the listeners, and, and I appreciate you guys uh, you know having me on. Um, you know the listeners, if they have any uh, questions for me, they can follow me on Twitter at Jay Cordegay and uh, fire those questions at me, and I'll I'll get back to them as soon as I can. Outstanding, great stuff. Thanks again, Jay. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks, Jay. Two men, Two men. ten thousand dollars. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. The 
the slow evaporation of our once vast fortune continues. Uh. <laughs> we placed five new bets last week, and four of them lost. One of those losses was tiny, but still, here are the details. I went 0 for 2. Uh, I took the under in the first game of the NBA Finals. Instead, it finished 13 and a half points over. Uh, that was pretty bad uh, and a painful viewing experience. If you, as you said before, John, betting the under is no fun at all. Sitting there, you're never out of it with the over. You're never out of it with the over. <laughs> right, right. Plus, you're rooting for boring, which is is just yeah, not not fun. So we lost 104 dollars on that one. My other loss was also ugly, but it could have been worse. I took Anthony Joshua to beat Andy Ruiz uh, by knockout between the 7th and 12th rounds. As everyone knows, Ruiz scored the massive upset uh, knockout in the 7th. But at least I took a plus money bet. So we only lost $100. I could have taken Joshua by knockout in any round, uh, in which case I would have risked about $500 to win 100 And, of course, there were some bettors uh, who took Joshua straight up at minus 4,000 odds. So in a relative sense, the upset didn't hurt us too badly. Um, over to your bets. Tony Finau let us down. Uh, you had him for $100 to finish in the top 20 and another $10 to finish in the top five. Instead, he missed the cut. Uh, but you also scored our lone win of the week. Your Bruins hot streak continued as you got them at plus 110 to win game three a profit of $110 for our bankroll. Uh, no futures bets have come in yet, but that'll change next week. We have uh, NBA Finals bets, Stanley Cup Finals bets, French Open bets, all nearing their conclusions. But for now, we lost $204 for the week. We're now ahead by a measly 174 bucks, with $1,660 tied up in futures bets, leaving us with $8,514 available to bet. And I'm up first. I just talked about my unsuccessful Ruiz-Joshua bet, a couple of days ago, Joshua announced he's triggering the rematch clause in the contract. Nothing is official yet, but it looks like probably November for that. Of all the U.S. sports books, I've only found one so far that has odds posted. Uh, BetStars has Ruiz as a plus 225 underdog, and I'm not surprised by that. The public will still favor the muscular giant over the schlubby guy, but I personally think it's a tough rematch to call. Either guy could win, and if anything, I view Ruiz as a slight favorite. Uh, despite the rematch probably being in England. He's just a better boxer, faster hands, more skilled, punches more instinctively. I'm not saying he beats Joshua 10 times out of 10, but if you watched that first fight, I don't see how you could come away thinking it was a fluke. It was no fluke. Joshua has to restore his confidence, protect his chin, figure out how not to get gassed so easily. He has a lot of work to do, and he may well do it, but to me, plus 225 on Ruiz is a fantastic price. It's a futures bet. The fight is, is likely five months or so away, but I'm risking $100 to win 225 on a Ruiz victory. All right. Uh, I got to mention uh, Finau. I just happened to flip on the Golf Channel on Thursday. Uh, Finau's one under on the ninth hole in the first round, and they flipped to him chipping from the rough. So you figure, well, he probably chipped in. Why are they going to bother showing this otherwise? Uh, yeah, he needed three chips to land on the green out of the thick rough, <laughs> and the wheels came off <laughs> from there. So I have no regrets in that bet. It's just a bizarre, a bizarre result. So my real regret is that Bruins not winning Game Four, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. I would have set up a three-to-one lead, a chance to take the Blues in Game five to guarantee a profit either way with a shot at hitting both blues game five and Bruins in the series uh, set up for me. So, but Oh, well, so uh, that said, I'll try to keep my long Bruins winning streak alive by going 112 to win 100 at over five goals in game five. Uh, I'm not a fan of the blues goalie and the blues, as we've seen, are pretty feisty. Okay. 
Um, I like that, mixing it up with a little uh, little prop betting sort of action uh, mm-hmm. for, for this game. Um, and I'll shift from your NHL uh, Stanley Cup Finals bet to the NBA Finals. Uh, the line is up for Friday night's NBA Finals Game 4. And just like Game 3, it's too wide in favor of Golden State. Game 3 opened at six points, and I pounced on it. Uh, not on our podcast, but, uh, you know, in, in real money in Pennsylvania online now that I can do that. Um, <laughs> this one is five and a half, and I like the Raptors again. I'm hesitant to bet them on the money line because you know the Warriors are getting every possible call. But five and a half is just too many points for this depleted Golden State team against this perfectly healthy Toronto team. I know Clay Thompson will be back, and that's huge, even if he's only about 80%. Durant might be back, but I doubt it. And even if he is, I assume he'll be pretty limited, both in minutes and effectiveness. And here's what everyone seems to be underrating how important Kevon Looney was to this team, especially once Durant went down. It forces DeMarcus Cousins into heavy minutes, and you could see in Game 3 how overextended he is. I can see the Warriors winning. I have a hard time seeing them do so comfortably. They're they're constantly battling just to keep these games close. Uh, Points bet has the minus 105 juice, so I'm taking advantage of that. I'm risking $105 to win 100 on Toronto plus 5.5 points. All right, sounds pretty good. Uh, meanwhile, I'm looking to barely uh, undercut your uh, Nadal wins the French Open pick. Um, I'm looking at uh, Roger Federer's. I mean, yeah, he, he he can't beat Nadal on clay, but I mean, these guys are not youngsters, so um, anything can happen. And um, I'm just going ten dollars to win sixty-seven fifty <laughs> on Federer. Uh, you know, that's he's got a chance, and I, I like those numbers. Uh, you're, you're the, the ultimate nit, a $10 bet out of our $10,000 bankroll. But, um, since I don't, well, I don't want to, I want to completely negate your effort. Right, here, so. right. Exactly. And, and I don't really, I don't love the bet. Um, so I'm glad you're, you're keeping it small in that regard. What I, what I don't want is for it to come through. And now I have to start working, uh, 50 cents into our bankroll every, every week. So I'm, I'm almost rooting against our bet just for that. Good point. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to USBets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please do the honors and take us out. Well, Eric, you know, today's June 6th. That's the 75th anniversary of D-Day, mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. and Allied invasion of Normandy. That was such a key point in World War II. Uh, it's ancient history for any of our younger listeners here or even the older ones. But uh, Harmonica Pete Dupree is a 96-year-old veteran of that war who played, and here's a sports element, played his favorite instrument for the national anthem uh, for a recent women's soccer friendly between the U.S. and Mexico uh, in New Jersey, just ahead of the looming Women's World Cup. Uh, Google the clip, and if you have a little time, learn more about the history of those brave soldiers. Um, We owe them all at least that much. And until next time, gamble on.